touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we are going to continue our discussion about Tesla Motors, the uh, the company that strives to bring electric vehicles to everyone, as long as you have lots of money. Oh, lots of money right now. They have they have solid plans for the future, and this is all really impressive for a company that's only been around since 2003. Right, especially for a company that went through so much public turmoil. I mean, there were a lot of moments that we talked about in our last episode where you could have looked at that at the time and thought, okay, the writing's on the wall. This company is not going to last. Uh, but it lasted. It, it, it's still around. I mean, you can, you can buy Teslas now. So yeah, yeah. At the end of our previous episode, we were talking specifically about some of the financial problems that were happening. Um, and during which Elon Musk talked to his brother Kimball and went like, I, re- I really just need just a little bit more private funding. And one of the things that Kimball said to him was like, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you need right now? Like, are you sure it's going to be worth it? Right. And, uh, you know, Musk is a, a determined individual, I think you would say, especially if you'd listened to our episode that we recorded about Elon Musk last year. Uh, he's he's certainly uh, he's got he's got that vision and the determination to follow through to achieve that vision that is pretty important in this kind of industry. So August 2009 is where we're picking up, and that is when Tesla Motors relocates its headquarters from San Carlos to Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. So, uh, over the course of 2009, they would produce about 800 roadsters um, and managed to get the production cost down to some $95,000 a piece, which is a lot better than the $140,000 a piece that they were operating at a couple of years previous. Especially since they were selling them at $109,000 a piece. So now they're selling them at a, profit, at a profit as opposed to at a loss. Crazy. Yeah. It's uh in general, I mean, I don't know a lot about business, but I do know that you generally want to sell something for more money than it costs you to make it. Uh, at least that's, I mean, I, I probably am missing something here, but in January, 2010, Tesla registered for an initial public offering, which is kind of interesting because, like we said, they had just, you know, asked the government for a 460 plus million dollar loan, but they were getting ready for it. So they were registering it. And that's not exactly when they held it, but that's when they registered. it. Uh huh. Um, the key to that loan, if you remember from our previous episode, was that Tesla had to have a, a mass production facility. Yeah. Um, and they did not have that yet. But in March of 2010, Musk secretly toured Numi, which was a or is a 200 acre vehicle production plant in Freeman, California, that's valued at some like one billion dollars. Um, it belonged at the time to Toyota and General Motors. Uh, well, uh, G- GM had backed out of the plant um, in 2009 after declaring bankruptcy and Toyota was planning on stopping production the following month and in April of 2010. So this plant was basically up for grabs and no one else in the auto industry was doing well enough to really want to take it over. Yeah, that global financial crisis had really hit the auto industry, particularly in the United States, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Akio Toyota, the, the president of Toyota himself, had actually arranged this tour for Elon Musk and would develop a friendship with Musk over the next couple months. Uh, they, they like test drove the Roadster together and like toured SpaceX and bonded over Froyo. What? Yeah, no, that happened. Wow. That's, there, there's journalistic evidence of this thing. You mean that maybe one day I, too, might be able to sit across the table from Elon Musk and enjoy some Froyo? 
I think I think it's possible, right. especially if you become the president of a multinational corporation that uh, Musk can greatly profit from. Oh, it's nothing but a gravy train from here on out, folks. Yeah. All right. So May 2010, Tesla ends up buying that plant. Uh, yeah, for just forty two million dollars. Wait, um, You just told me it was worth a billion. That is exactly what I said. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's that thing where really no one else was in a position to buy it. And they were Froyo buddies at this point. <laughs> so. So, yeah, you know, nothing, nothing. Really greases the wheels like, <laughs> like an Oreo, <laughs> like an Oreo crumbled Froyo. But uh, yeah, so forty-two million dollars is incredible, right? Yeah, Musk had budgeted that amount for a, a much more modest factory, and and ended he, up with this massive place. This massive place, yeah. Um, and Tesla and Toyota also announced an agreement. Oh yeah, they said they were going to start developing electric vehicles together, and Toyota agreed to purchase shares in Tesla. That's right. So in June 2010, Tesla has its initial public offering and joins the Nasdaq Stock Exchange. Now that public offering was very successful; it raised more than 226 million dollars, mm-hmm. and it was the first American car company to complete an IPO since Ford's way back in 1956. Yeah. So at that point, um, Wired uh, Wired had a quote, right? Uh, right. This is the same, uh, wired piece that a quote from our previous episode, uh, had, had been in. Right. That's when Elon Musk said, at that point, every day was like eating glass and staring into the abyss of death. I'm not positive. I, that was a dramatic reinterpretation, you guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that, that was a quote from, uh, 2008 or so when things were really not looking very good for, for, for Musk and for Tesla. And so things had turned around at this point a whole lot. Uh, Musk at this point said, I'm not staring into the abyss of death anymore. I'm just eating glass now. Wow. It's like sunshine and puppy dogs. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that, that wired piece, by the way, is how Elon Musk turned Tesla into the car company of the future by one Joshua Davis. And it's a really terrific piece. I'll try to remember to link it on social so that you guys can enjoy it as well. Yeah, it's great. It's a great, uh, resource this this whole podcast. In January 2011, Tesla reports its financial results, and they have to do this. A publicly traded company has to report. It's, it's part of the gig. Yep. Because you have a responsibility to your shareholders, as well as the government, and uh, revealed that it lost $154.3 million in 2010. Not Ouch. a big, not a big surprise. I mean, again, because the Roadster was really the only thing they had uh, as to sell, they had received some investment money and a loan, but they hadn't, they didn't have any more product to move yet. Uh, right. And they still weren't producing a whole, whole lot of them. Yeah. In fact, Roadster eventually, I mean, spoiler alert, eventually the, the full number of Roadsters that they produced was somewhere just south of 2,500. Wow. So not that many. Now we skip ahead a whole year. So let's all go. It's January 2012 now. And Peter Rawlinson, who was vice president and chief engineer, and Nick Sampson, who was a vehicle and chassis engineering supervisor, both resign on the same day. At the as soon as the news breaks, shares drop nineteen percent. So it's part of the problem here is that uh, both of these guys were very heavily involved in developing the Model S, and the the fear was that. This was going to lead to some sort of problem with the Model S production and that people lost confidence in Tesla. Um, and also they decided to do something else that was a little radical. Uh, yeah, that that is when they, in fact, ended production on the Roadster. Before I could get one. 
Like I said, what were you planning on getting a roadster? Plan is a strong word. Dream or hope. Were you planning on getting a driver's license? I No, I was planning on getting a driver and a roadster. Okay. The hard part is sitting in the back of a car that only has two seats. That that part I hadn't figured out yet. But anyway, February 2012, that's when Tesla unveils a new vehicle. Uh, yeah, the Model X, which is an SUV. Yep, to go on sale in early 2014. Uh, it's not... It's they're they're supposed to be delivered sometime this year, but although uh, and another spoiler alert here, if you were to put in an order right now, it would essentially be a pre-order. They can't guarantee delivery till 2015. So, just uh, letting you guys know. Uh, but but they were they were taking five thousand dollar deposits for the vehicle. Yeah, um, and it has my favorite feature of a vehicle ever. So now, okay, if the Roadster can't be mine. I'm not a big SUV guy in general, but this one I would get for this one feature. It has freaking gullwing doors, you know, like the DeLorean. Like the DeLorean, yeah. Oh, yeah, and hey, doors. and hey, that would have a back seat so you could have a driver. That's right. That's right. I could have my driver drive me around in the electric SUV. Okay, got a new goal. I'm all right. I've recentered myself. So May 2012. Tesla announces it will begin delivering Model S cars to customers starting on June 22nd, 2012. And then on June 22nd, 2012, they had an Apple-like launch event where they started to deliver the first Model S vehicles in person, and for the first three anyway. Uh, I watched the video on this, and it was definitely very much like an Apple event, although I guess it was more of an internal company event that press were invited to. Uh-huh. I, I think it was mostly Tesla employees. And it was more of a, you guys, we did it. This was something that people said was impossible. Everyone kept saying that uh, it was the company was not in good shape, that the global crisis had caused us to lose sight of everything. That but it was we never have happen. rocked it out. Here it is. And at that time, there were 10 thousand reservations for the Model S. And most of those people had never seen one, let alone sat in one, let alone driven in one. So that's that's a lot of um, promise. Yeah. And you got you belief. Yeah, you've got you. Some might say it's a little cultish. It reminds me of another car company, the Saturn car company, where people who got Saturns early on. Did you ever meet anyone? Who was a Saturn? I, I remember on? some of the hype surrounding it, but I didn't know anyone at the time. No. Yeah, well, Tesla, they talk about being a community, especially the Roadster community early sure. on, because those very few people, very exclusive, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but same sort of thing. Like it was this idea that you're being inducted into this, uh, this sort of exclusive club, but it's also because you shared this vision of an electric car future with zero G emissions. I mean, this was a big deal for a lot of people. Sure. Uh, speaking of cults, how's that cult going? Uh, the cult of Matt? Oh, the Matt one. Yeah, see, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Okay. I also can't talk to my family anymore. But huh. other than that, it's great. Uh, th- th- this is all uh, uh, Ben Ben and Matt of um, stuff, stuff they, they don't... don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Inducted Jonathan into a cult They got recently. Chuck, too. They did. Uh, I'm not sure if Scott bought in. No, he's I, kind I... of a holdout. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. We have people watching his house all the time. But if you go to their YouTube channel, you can check out Jonathan on that. Yeah, it's fantastic. So getting back to the Model S, it's a four-door sedan. You know, this is that that luxury sedan that they had been talking about years before, right? And they here it is finally coming out. It has uh, optional seating for a seven. Uh, as it turns out, there's a lot of extra cargo capacity when you remove the need for exhaust systems and thermal shielding so that you don't cook your passengers like eggs on an engine block, uh, the catalytic converters and et cetera, 
etc. Yep. It's also the, the body is made mostly of aluminum instead of steel to cut down on weight. Obviously very important so that you can uh, not have to use as much power to move the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unlike the Roadster, it actually had two battery options. So you had one that would give you uh, the, the bigger battery package option would give you 306 miles of range or about 492 kilometers on a single charge. And the smaller had more a range that was closer to that of the Roadster, which was about 244 miles or around 393 kilometers. Now, it was also designed to be very aerodynamic to cut down on drag. So, again, to try to further and, reduce the load on that battery. Exactly. And it had regenerative braking to, again, reduce the load on the battery some more. And, uh, you know, the recharging thing still kind of an issue, especially since. Some people just can't get over that idea that, oh, I want to be able to drive as far as I want whenever I want and not worry about uh, running out of, of juice. Well, it has a mobile connector that can plug into 110 volt or 240 volt outlets. Uh, but, you know, usually you would just plug it in at night. If you were to plug it into one of these outlets, you would get only a, a, fraction, a fraction of, of your full, full range. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if you were on the road and you wanted to charge your car, uh, let's say you go to a public charging station and you recharge the battery at a rate where you get about 22 miles or 35 kilometers for every hour of charge. Okay. Uh, some can charge a little faster than that. A 240 volt outlet will provide 31 miles or 50 kilometers of range per hour of charge. But they're supercharger stations, and I'll talk more about them in a little bit, but they can provide 170 miles or 274 kilometers of range for just 30 minutes of charge. And that's pretty incredible. Still, it's a half hour, right? It's a lot different. It's, than It's a, uh, much more cumbersome than uh, pulling up to a gas station and being out in under 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's something that some people still balk at, even though I think most of us, if we were to actually write down how many miles we traveled in a typical day, I think for most of us, it would be significantly below the range of the Tesla. Again, some people obviously are, are exceptions, but I think the majority of us would be able to, uh, to comfortably drive that range and then plug in at night and be fine the next day. Sure. And of course, if you forget to plug in your car, then you're you know up the creek. So the car has a frunk, which is a front trunk. I, I disapprove of that word. I don't approve of it. It does. It just sounds dirty. That <laughs> it's got it's got a frunk. But yeah, I don't I don't like the that that version of front trunk either. I mean, uh, having a front trunk, awesome. That's fine. Sure. But calling great. calling it a frunk, no. not good. Nope. But yes, you can store stuff there. I um, deny the frunk. <laughs> excellent. Well, and the Roadster, uh, just like the Roadster, it has an electric motor and fixed gear drive, but it has a liquid cooled powertrain, unlike the Roadsters, which, as you recall from the last episode, was, was air cooled. Exactly. Yeah. It just brought in air from the vents. This one had a liquid cooling system. And again, it uses lithium-ion batteries, just like the Roadster did. One of the big shiny elements of this car was its, or is its 17-inch um, touchscreen yeah. for all of the the, the controls and um, media communication. You can you can do everything from controlling the temperature in the cabin, or you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some people who I know have said that that was a little. Scary to have a big panel that could be distracting to the driver, but still. Or that could electrically short out and uh, stop stop giving you, you know, important functionality and yeah. information. Um, but chief designer Franz von Holzhausen said uh, 
It's like the leap of faith Apple took with the iPhone. There's a cleanliness to the interior and the screen is the hero. We're in the midst of a transition toward a new way of thinking. For me, that's an iPhone moment. And it is uh, an impressive display. I mean, I've, I've, I've only seen pictures of them because uh, Georgia is not one of those places. We, we live in Georgia and Georgia is not one of those places that has a lot of the supercharger stations. Nope. In fact, we have one and it's in Savannah, which for those who are not familiar with Georgia geography is way the heck away from Atlanta. About five hours travel time by car. Yeah, so you're not going to see a lot of these. I'm not saying that no one has them in Atlanta. I'm sure there are a few, but I haven't had a chance to see one in person. But I've seen the pictures, and they are pretty. So when it launched, they had talked about the base price of the lower-end Model S without any options on it or anything. It was around $60,000, and the one with the larger battery pack was around 80000 um, those numbers are, are different from today's numbers, and also they changed year to year and based upon all the different options. So that was the idea when it first launched. Um, and also there was this optional third row seat, that that idea, that seventh seat. Uh, that seven, seat. seven seater. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that you would sit three people in the front and four people in the back or something. You know, it was meant just for children, and it meant that they also had to put in extra safety features. Uh, sure. Well, the this this third row was facing backwards. Yeah. Or, and uh if customers order the car in this layout, it includes a, a special rear bumper, like like double bumper yeah. in the back. Yeah, it meant more. There was more crumple space there in case of a rear collision. So right. if a if a collision happened at highway speeds, then uh, it would be just as safe from the rear as it would be from the front. So, uh, and we'll talk more about its safety record when we get into the second half. In fact, this is a good place to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right, we've worked our way up to September 2012. The Model S has come out, and at this point, Tesla announces that it'll build out that supercharging network that I had talked about. So the supercharging stations were places that are our places, rather, where people can quickly recharge their Tesla vehicles. Uh, they use this proprietary kind of, of connection between the supercharger and their vehicle, and for absolutely free of charge for any Tesla user, they can start to recharge their car. And after about half an hour, they've got, you know, a 170 mile range, like we said in the earlier part of this podcast. Uh, they would announce a year later the, the option to have, um, in, in, instead of sitting there for half an hour and charging your car, just swapping out the battery pack, which can take as little as, uh, 90 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was one demo where they showed it being done in something like 30 seconds, but this was, you know, in a, in a scenario that was specifically engineered to be as fast as it possibly could be. Uh, right. And that is for a service fee. And, and I think that the formula that they use is, is the market price of 15 gallons of gas, which they estimate to be somewhere between 60 and $80. Yeah. That's exactly what what I've heard as well. So in other words, you can if you if you have the time, you can sit around for half an hour and let your car recharge. Or if you got to get going, you can dish out the 60 to 80 bucks or whatever the equivalent is mm-hmm. at that given moment and get a new battery switched in and it'll be fully charged and thus give you uh, a, a full range of, of uh, travel again. So the other thing about this proprietary technology is it means that only Model S vehicles can um 
plug into this stuff. So it's not like there's any kind of a uh, uh, market sensibility to to get these things into as many charging stations as possible. It's really just based on Tesla putting them in. Yeah, because uh, if you drive any electric vehicle from any other manufacturer, you cannot take advantage of these superchargers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of a it's kind of Tesla guaranteeing that they're going to have a an invested base. Because they've they're built they're the ones actually putting the infrastructure out there. They're not depending upon other uh, entities to do that. Uh, but, um, so far, they have built seventy nine of those supercharger stations in the U S. Yeah, um, it's a it's a mostly West Coast trail. Yeah, it's kind of crazy if you look at the map. Um, imagine that it starts in Seattle. It didn't really start in Seattle, but just think of it. It looks like a, it looks like it's a snake in a way. The, the one end of it is in Seattle. It go, then goes down the West Coast with lots of stations in California, starts to loop inward. You guys who are not from the United States are going to get a really weird sense of geography here. (laughs) But starts to loop inward and goes into Arizona and New Mexico before it arches northward and goes into the upper Midwest states. Uh, Lots of stations in Chicago. So once you get to Illinois, there's a good cluster there. Then it continues into the northeastern part of the United States, then trails down the East Coast, which is where we get, you know, the one the in Savannah, Savannah station mm-hmm. goes down into Florida. And then you have a disconnected pocket of supercharged stations in eastern Texas. In fact, uh, Bernie Burns of uh, of Rooster Teeth has a Model S oh. Tesla and talks about how it's great. He loves it and he loves the supercharged stations. And he's frustrated about a certain law that we will talk about in a little bit. But yes, um, Tesla plans to continue building out this network of stations to get better coverage. And in fact, says that they estimate by the end of 2014, they'll have 80 percent of the United States covered in parts of Canada as well. And by the end of 2015, 98 percent of the country should be covered so that you should have a supercharger within range of your vehicle and, and another one within range of that one. So at, you an, at any given time. Go. Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, meanwhile, Europe does have a few. Yeah. Yeah. Uh more than a dozen. Fourteen. Yes. In fact. <laughs> That's how many they have right now. And I didn't see any indication on uh, the website about Tesla's plans to build that infrastructure out very much. Uh, I would imagine that they do plan on doing it, but they didn't have any numbers like the 80 or 90, 98% that they had for the United States. I'm sure that as sticky as the, the legal situations here in the States are at right now, um, probably they're they're trying to... They're, they're picking which fish they are going to fry at which time. Yes. Frying fish is a very delicate procedure. It is. But in 2013, in February, Musk had his uh, his little uh, tiff with the New York Times. Oh, right. Uh, that was when John Broder wrote this this kind of hypercritical article of the Model S called Stalled Out on Tesla's Electric Highway. Yeah, he claimed that uh, that he ended up losing juice um and that the the Tesla vehicle did not adequately warn him. And Musk ended up writing an extremely detailed blog post where they took lots of metrics straight from the car. From, they, from the car that Broder that had, Broder had, had used, driven, right? Yeah. And they said, look, we looked at what you did in our car, and it's not the same thing as what you said in the article. In fact, uh, you, according to when you were charging it, you said that you needed to go 61 miles the vehicle uh, had indicated that you had enough of a charge for 32 miles and then you stopped charging and started driving away and you still went 51 miles. 
And then were surprised, apparently, when you didn't go the full 60-some miles. Yeah, so what Musk was saying is that you are not being honest. You're being disingenuous with this report. And uh, there was a lot of back and forth between Broder and Musk and the New York Times in general. And eventually, Margaret Sullivan, the public editor of the New York Times, offered a quasi-apology, saying that there was some errors in precision, but not in integrity. So it's almost it, it like was saying a very double speak kind of apology. I yeah. Think. So, um, but the end of the day, didn't hurt Tesla's sales at all. People still had interest in the Model S. So this review didn't didn't end up, um, or this article, I guess I should say, didn't end up having a huge impact. Although Musk at the time had claimed that because of that, from a corporate standpoint, they lost about a hundred million dollars in uh, potential in potential market investment share. Yeah. or market yeah. share. Yeah, I, I I honestly think that it was it wound up driving positive hype for the company. Um, and at any rate, by May 2013, Tesla would have its first ever profitable quarter. Yep, they made five hundred sixty-two million dollars in revenue. I have no idea how much they made in profit because uh, I don't know what their costs were. And uh, I pulled this information from their uh, initial report. So I'm sure there was a, a more specific report that goes into the profit. But Consumer Reports, um, they had some nice things to say, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, unlike unlike the New York Times, they gave the Model S their highest rating for a car ever, which was 99 out of their 100-point scale. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, there were some other competitor companies that were also trying to get into this electric car market. Uh, and they included companies like Coda and Fisker. Mm-hmm. And both of these had been struggling for a while. Coda would end up going bankrupt the week before Tesla announced its profitable quarter. And Fisker would eventually follow suit, declaring bankruptcy later on. Uh, so, you know, this this was, again, another story about how Tesla was able to defy the odds and and see success while other companies were who, trying to do the same thing were failing. Right, right. Um, as of June or uh, June and or July of 2013, Tesla paid back that $465 million loan from the Department of Energy and simultaneously raised a billion dollars from investors. That's pretty impressive. Uh, that is also the time period that they started announcing those battery swapping stations that we were just talking about a moment ago. Yep. And so then in August 2013, Tesla announces that the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration awarded the Model S a five-star safety rating across all categories and subcategories. And according to a press release on Tesla's website, they said that the combined score now, technically, like when they would show scores, it would five was the top. But in reality, it could go a little higher than five. It's just that they would say it's a five star rating. Right. They said that theirs ended up being a five point four, which was the highest that any car had ever received as far as safety rating is concerned. And this included, uh, I think the the car that they sent over for testing was one that had that seventh additional seat. And so, you know, they they decided they tested this thing by doing uh, lots of crumple zones. They 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 said that the but the fact that it has a frunk means that it has a bigger crumple zone because it doesn't have that uh, engine block there. Uh-huh. So that helps protect the driver and passengers from uh, a head-on collision. Uh, they also strengthened the car's sides. They strengthened the back. In fact, one of the Tesla representatives said, you know, technically there are ways you can game the system because you know which ways they're going to test the vehicle. Sure. So, so what we did was we strengthened those part of the vehicles first and then said, okay, how do we make the rest of the car as strong as these strong points? Uh, yeah. And, and a few of those other really basic electric car um, 
contrivances, uh, uh, mm-hmm. necessities really, um, mean that the, the overall strength of the car can, can be based on the, the underbelly. It can be completely flat, which can, yeah. uh, allow you to cut down on on a a lot of annoying stuff like a like road vibration and stuff like that and and also make it much more um crash compatible right and also it's got a uh you know the fact that you've got the battery pack down there beneath the floor pan means that it has a very low center of gravity which Mm -hmm. actually helps not only in the handling but But in stability yeah it means it's really hard to flip it over in fact they said that in the tests where they were you know, trying to flip the car, they had to go through extreme measures in order to get the car to flip because the center of gravity was so low. Uh, perhaps in response to this, in October of 2013, um, a bunch of kind of sensationalistic news stories um, began popping up about fires breaking out in Model S's. And t- to be fair, these these fires were popping up in cars that had that had just been in a crash. Um, and I haven't heard any stories of, of these fires getting past the car's safety firewalls in, into the passenger compartments. It was all just in the confined to the battery. And uh, uh, some of the emergency response teams that showed up didn't know entirely how to deal with an electric car right. fire as opposed to a, a gasoline engine fire. Sure. The, the method of dealing and, and containing that kind of thing is... Pretty, different. pretty different. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Musk in true Musk style post a, a really calmly derisive blog response about how driving around with large tanks of highly flammable f- fuel really isn't um, more safe than his electric batteries. So sounds a lot like saying that, hey, just because you use bitcoins to launder money, you know what else is used to launder money? Dollar bills. Money. <laughs> 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 Way more, as it turns out. Same, same sort of thing. It's, it's funny that we're recording these episodes so close together and, and the themes are so close. February 2014, Tesla announced a planned $5 billion gigafactory. Gigafactory. Yeah. I can't help but think of Quagmire. Uh, the this <laughs> gigafactory. This is uh, just to produce um, those lithium-ion batteries for vehicles. Yeah, and in fact, this would be uh, an attempt to make them easier to get to because, as it turns out, uh, there are several large companies that supply lithium-ion batteries, but Tesla is pretty much beholden to them, right? That's that's where it's the only source they can go to to get these. They say that their planned 2020 production using this factory, building these lithium-ion batteries, that the the amount they produce in that factory would actually be more than the global cell supply in 2013. Wow. So from this one factory, they would be able to make more cells that would be assembled into batteries than they could get if they had the the corner on the global market. Right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and this is all part of the third step of that plan that we talked about in our first episode for, for the company to... Uh, you know, first produce a sports car and then produce a family sedan, a luxury family sedan, granted, mm-hmm. but then to begin producing electric cars for the common person. Yeah. And so uh, they say that this 2020 production would allow them to create to produce as many as half a million vehicles in a year wow. once it goes online. So uh, they're looking right now. It's this factory's not built. They're looking at different potential sites to build this factory. Uh, they first went ahead and discounted California, so it's not going to be there. They said that it will probably be in either Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, or maybe Texas. But although at this point it's looking like maybe not Texas. Yeah. So March 2014, uh, now, now, Texas had already passed this law that I'm about to talk about. But this is when New Jersey joins Texas, Colorado, Virginia and Arizona 
by passing legislation that bans Tesla from using direct sales to sell cars to customers. Uh, right. As we said earlier, Tesla uses direct sales. They don't go through a third dealership. party dealership. Yeah. yeah. Um, and dealerships don't really like that no. so much. No. And in fact, they often have a lot of political sway, particularly in certain states like, I don't know, Texas. So uh, you get into these these states where you have politicians who say, no, you know, Tesla needs to play by the same rules that these automakers are playing. By. Uh-huh. They 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 do also claim that it's better for shoppers and owners alike to be dealing with third part, party sellers um, and that that's going to encourage competition. Yeah. I don't know, Lauren. Have you ever gone to a dealership where someone told you that whatever car you were interested in was not the right car for you? I have um, I have so many opinions about car dealerships yeah. and the way that they sell cars. I have gone through this process twice in my life, and um, I I don't genuinely hate many things, but <laughs> car dealerships are something that I have. It's like it's like flames on, on the, the sides side of, of my face. face. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean I mean burning fiery passion. Yeah. So see, this is the, it's interesting to me because Tesla's approach otherwise is very much like Apple's. Now, now, granted, you can buy Apple in other stores, so it's not it's not completely analogous. But uh, but it's pretty vertical. I yeah, mean, yeah, Apple has its own store that you can go to and you can buy from Apple. You can either buy it online or you can go to the physical store and buy it there. Uh, but you could also go to Best Buy or whatever and buy apples at some of those. But in this case, Tesla is very much like the pure Apple experience, saying you come to us, we will sell you a car. And these states have said you cannot do that. And in fact, uh, it, or at least not in our state. So if you want to buy a Tesla and you live in one of these states, you have to leave the state first to buy it. Uh, you can bring it back to your home oh, yeah, state yeah. and that's fine. Yeah, it's not It's but, not that driving the vehicle in yeah. New Jersey or Texas is illegal. It's not. But it's illegal to purchase it the way Tesla sells it. So people like, like Bernie Burns that I mentioned have to leave their home state to go and purchase a car that they want. I mean, like I said, Texas even has some of those supercharger stations available. They have some of the infrastructure, but they still have this law that says you cannot buy direct from Tesla, which is one of the reasons why some people think that Tesla may not choose Texas to be the home for that gigafactory. Or perhaps Arizona at that point. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, So it may be that Nevada is going to win out on that one. We'll see. But anyway, uh, these days you could buy a Model S if you have the, you know, the wherewithal. There's also the Model X. Uh, right. You can put down a reservation for that. Although, like we said earlier, like Jonathan said earlier, um, the deliveries of those are, if, if you reserve today, are not planned to be until 2015. Right. So uh, they there should be Model Xs on the road before the end of this year. I don't think any have rolled off the assembly lines yet for not customers. that I'm personally aware of. And the Roadster is officially off of the market. Yeah, so you the, might be able uh, to get a used one. I'm you know? I'm sure that a few of them are are floating around here and Got there. Got like a you know fifty grand or so. You might yeah. be able to, might be able to pick up a used one. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, that's the story of Tesla Motors so far. It actually, to me, is a remarkable story on on multiple fronts. For one thing, the idea of a company that is de- coming at the electric car problem from a totally different direction than other companies do, right? Other companies. Come at it from let's let's really target the eco environmentally friendly market. Tesla says, let's go with 
these cars can be sexy. Yeah, let's go with the really high-end user and 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 convince them, convince the world that this is something that they want. And, and you know, therefore, by trickle-down effect, go, you know, when, when they put out something that's cheaper, have the common guy go like, oh, man, that's that company that makes those incredibly sexy cars. I want an incredibly sexy car. Especially since by that time they've built out a lot of the infrastructure that you would need to charge your vehicle if mm. you ever had to do it when you're out on the road. That makes it practical. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think... Uh, really savvy. Yeah, they went about it in a really a really interesting way. Obviously, it wasn't smooth sailing uh, to mix the entire metaphors. time, right? But uh, yeah, smooth was, road sailing. Right. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, we're not suggesting that Tesla cars are like boats. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, we'll be really interested to see how this goes. I, I'm very curious to see in the next five or six years what kind of uh, of the lower cost cars Tesla comes out with, assuming that they do continue on that path. Yeah, I'm excited about that potential Gigafactory thing. Yeah, I would love to be able to to see Tesla dealerships or stores, whatever, I guess they're technically stores, pop up in a lot more places too. And uh, maybe even see competing um, companies come out with their own electric vehicles that are just as compelling to to the average driver as the Tesla has been. So, um, yeah, and plus it also means that we're going to see other alternatives as well, like the hydrogen fuel cell cars. Yeah. Uh, it's really exciting to me to see this kind of development away from the internal combustion engine as we are all familiar. So if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, here's a thought. Let us know about them. Don't just whisper it quietly into your pillow at night. We can't hear that anymore. <laughs> the NSA has told us to cut that out. But if you would send us an email, send that to techstuffatdiscovery.com or drop us a line on the social networks we frequent, which include Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook. We use the handle techstuffhsw, and you should too. And we will talk to you again really soon. <laughs>